This is Mimi A and welcome to the MSG pod. This is the Christmas special and I'm incredibly excited to say that my guest this time around is the actor, comedian, musical star, game show host, best-selling author, chart topper, officer of the Order of the British Empire, UNICEF ambassador, Chancellor of the University of Sussex. I mean, I could have summarised all of that with just national treasure. It is the one... And the only Sanjeev Bhaskar! Wow! <laughs> ho, ho, ho! Christmas, ho, ho, ho! I didn't recognise myself by your intro, so thank you very much. That's kind of. Uh, doesn't sound like Is me. It's all a lie. <laughs> it's all, Are you like all that of it. Film? Was it Catch Me If You Can? The Walter Mitty thing. Yeah, true story as well. But he masqueraded as a pilot, as a lawyer. As a doctor. So are you saying that you cannot perform operations? You are- I remember when I got an honorary doctorate, I asked if I could you know, legally put doctor in front of my name. And they right. said, yes, you can. And I thought, <gasps> I'm going to do it then because I'll do it and then arrive late for every flight. So they have to announce me <laughs> and then I can walk on the plane going... Hi, yeah, sorry, I'm a doctor. I'm yeah, a doctor. but what if uh, there is an in-flight emergency? What do you do then? That was my big fear, was that somebody would, you know, have a stroke or something and they'd <laughs> say, is there a doctor on board? Everyone would be looking at me. I'd have to walk over there, look at him and say, "I, if you give me five minutes, I could probably write a sketch about this. And it was, actually, do you know what? I won't put doctor in front of my name or on my passport. I swear when I was growing up, TV movies went through a stage where every time something bad happened on a plane or a similar stressful situation, people always ended up doing a tracheotomy using like a biro. <clears throat> that, that seemed to be the done thing. And yeah, it's just it's all, yeah. all you could do. All you could it? do. I mean, it's kind doesn't of, matter what was wrong. You know, perform about kind of a liver transplant. About to you're... give birth. <laughs> tracheotomy. It's funny because both my parents are doctors and I said to them, if you were ever in that situation, would you do that? And they were like, hell no. Oh, oh, there you go. (laughs) It is fiction after all. So, as well as being all those amazing things, which I may or may not have verified and you've kind of put (laughs) doubt into my head. I think it was Richard Herring said that you were the nicest person in entertainment, second only to Sir Michael Palin. How do you plead? You're telling me that that... (laughs) Rude, obnoxious <laughs> git, Michael Palin, was ahead of me. That's just oh my. Um, I don't know. It's you know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? You don't really think about it. I mean, you know, it's nice when people say something like that, but I don't know. Life's too short to have unnecessary conflict. It's, it's kind of you know. It's. A, I mean, I would imagine that most people would, you know, given a choice prefer to have a nice time yes in, in whatever situation they're in I mean there are challenges enough that that life throws at you but Def, definitely and talking about like different situations I mean obviously we've is it two years now pandemic lockdown mm. all sorts of things that have been happening for the last couple of years how has that been been treating you how many are there in your household right now there are four at the moment okay. so we have one very elderly person and then we have one young person, teenager, mm-hmm. and uh, me and the missus. So okay. there's four of us generally, uh, okay. or have been on and off uh, over the last kind of year and a half, two years now. And and have you got on okay? How's, how's it been? It's been fine. I mean, it's 
you know, it helped that we all got on to start with. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I can really, I can well understand that, you know, people's lives suddenly being forced into, you know, a corner, uh, not of their own making, is incredibly challenging. But I think that also, if you have a kindness first, compassion first kind of policy, mm-hmm. And also that you are geared to looking to have a nice time. Yeah. Um, then hopefully that's all of you working towards that. And so you find that consensus because if you're hardwired to find it, it's like finding connections with people. You know, yeah. if you're hardwired to find connections with people and, and the other person is as well, you will. Yeah. You'll find something. You'll find something in common, whether it's something you love, something you hate, somewhere you've traveled to, an experience you've had, mm-hmm. an ambition you've got, a dream you've got, you'll find something, but you have to look for it. And yeah. um, so I think with us as a family, we, you know, we were in a good place to start with, which That's... not every family is. So the challenges in that department were perhaps less for us than for other people. And also, you know, we've, we've got a really small garden, but at least we've got an outside space. Yeah. And so things like that, you know, I think the thing that for me, if, if it clarified something or, or certainly made it more vivid was to feel grateful, to be to be grateful, because I think one of the things about feeling in in a tough place like so many people have is that it's very easy and subconsciously to slip into feeling unfortunate. Yeah. Where you end up going, I, I, I'm, un, I'm unlucky to be in this situation. I, this is huge misfortune. And it's very difficult to counter feeling unlucky. And the only way of doing it is to feel lucky. Because if you feel lucky, then all of those things still happen. But they, the context is, has changed. So I think that's the other thing for me personally. I suddenly thought, wow, you know, I've, I've had... Um, and continue to have this incredibly fortunate existence with amazing experiences. And those things can't happen to someone who's unlucky. No. So therefore, I can't be unlucky. I can be going through a bad day, but I can't be unlucky. Do, do you believe, though, that you meant your own luck? Or do you think the universe has something out there for you? Or um, I believe that you interpret it. And so... Because it is absolutely an interpretation. When I was 14 or so, 14 or 15, and we lived above a shop in West London, above a laundrette. Mm -hmm. Um, We had an electrical shop on one side and there was a Chinese takeaway on the other. Mm -hmm. And we were the laundrette in the middle. And so I had a room that was at the top of the house that had one very small gas fire. And it wasn't a particularly big room. Um, I had sort of two walls that I could cover in posters. Yeah. And then I think about the posters I had on my wall. And uh, and then I think about, I mean, just what that meant. I mean, that was escapism to me. Those were, those are the walls of your dreams, really. So it was actors and singers and yeah. um, that kind of thing. And then I think about how many people on my wall I've met now. And in a few cases have become friends with and it blows my 14 year old's mind uh, you know if i i mean if 
I'd said to my 14-year-old self at that time, you're going to meet some of these people or become friends with them. It would have been ridiculous. It would have been mm -hmm. just come, come on. Um, you know, we live above a laundrette in Hounslow. <laughs> um, and I thought, wow, that that kid grew up to be really lucky. Yeah. And so anything that happens to me, I cannot be uh, unlucky or unfortunate. Yeah. I met I those people. That's not going to change. I mean, so is it these people, is it people like, I mean, I think you've, you've met some of the Beatles, right? At least some of them. I met three out of four. John Lennon that, was the only one I didn't meet. That's, that's yeah, that's not it's bad not, going. Not bad, yeah. That's not bad going. Um, and then, um, I mean, other, other people that I've kind of seen you talk about fondly, it's people mm. like, you know, like Alan Alder. Um, yeah. You seem to have a really lovely relationship with him, which is... Yeah, he and his, yeah, he and his wife are just two of the most life-affirming people I've ever met, and they are extraordinary in their generosity, in their humour, their warmth, and their curiosity. And it was one of the things I learned from both of them. Actually, was that you know they're both in their eighties now, but they wake up curious. They kind of want to know about people. They want to know about things. They will then research it or look it up or ask someone. And there's never that sense with them that in any subject that they know it all. And so that um, I got from them as well. Mm -hmm. And then the Pythons. Yes. Uh, so some of them uh, are friends as well. So um, and Roger Moore. Which, um, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, how, I mean, I still I still don't believe that. Is that through your UNICEF work that you got to know Roger Moore? I met him at a charity do and was introduced to him uh, so I used to do a show called the Kumars which was a chat show comedy hybrid thing acting like we won't have heard of it <laughs> of course we've heard people may not have award-winning Kumars at number 42 <laughs> um and I asked him if he'd come on and he kind of said he couldn't at that point right uh, but then wrote me a lovely email to say why he couldn't and and wish me luck, and then we just kept in touch. And then whenever he was here, I'd you know see him, and we'd meet up. And uh, and in fact, the last email I got from him, uh, I didn't know he was uh, ill, but the last email I got from him a few months before he passed away mm. was just a, a really lovely email about um, the series Unforgotten that I've done, oh. and you know how proud he was to see me, his friend being so great in it and it was really lovely really lovely um it's really lovely so um yeah I still can't believe that you know he was he was you know James Bond on my wall and then I became friends with him so how can that guy ever um think of himself as unlucky no matter what he's going through yeah I I, I read an interview with you actually where you were saying that Roger Moore kind of taught you about Britishness and how like, yeah being, being debonair and <laughs> Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I was born in here. I was born in London. Uh, my parents uh, from India. And my dad came in uh, towards the end of 1956. Uh, my mum came here, I think, about 1961 or so. Okay. And so, so they met here, did they? No, they met in India. So their families knew each other before. Okay. And, um, and in fact, my dad's older brother was married to my mum's older sister so oh, I've always thought oh. of it as the cut price Asian musical two brides for two brothers 
but um, yeah, that's a, my notions of what Britishness were came from our neighbours. So before it was a Chinese takeaway, it was a fish and chip shop. Right. And so uh, the couple that um, ran that were Phyllis and Gordon were absolutely lovely. They were kind of, you know, sort of slightly old fashioned British working class folk. Right. But they were funny and they were curious and they were generous. And so I got an idea of Britishness from them because they were our neighbours and yeah. uh, and then it was watching Roger Moore on TV because yeah. he was debonair and he was yeah. smart and he you know had this wonderful voice and and he was a gentleman and actually even on meeting him actually all those things held you know he was uh, extremely funny yeah uh, very quick-witted um, but had he was old school manners you know when I think back to it you know whether it's him or whether it's Alan Alder, um, you know, none of them have any need to either keep in touch with me or be friends with me or offer me advice or support. They don't have to do that, you know, no. but they do, and and these are choices they have made, and I'm you know humbled and you know full of respect for that, as I am for anybody who does yeah. that, you know, and I think that they happen to be well known. But somebody asked me, do you get starstruck? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, you know, in a shallow level, if I see somebody that I really admire that I've never seen before, I do go, wow, look, that's, yeah. you know, whoever it is. But I said, I'm really, really nice struck. <laughs> I'm really struck when I see kindness, when I see, you know, wh- where people don't have to do it. Yeah. You know, they choose to do it. And I find that extraordinary and uh, moving and... Um, you know, optimistic. Yeah, I would say that you've obviously kind of taken those lessons and paid it forward because you talking to me right now, that's because you are a kind person who doesn't have to talk to me, <laughs> but you, you said that what? you would, which is really sweet. So, <laughs> Wait a minute, what about the payment? Wasn't there, didn't we just... There no. was definite... Oh, did I dream no. that? You did dream that. No one gets Damn. anything <laughs> apart Damn. from... Kind of my heartfelt appreciation, which should be enough, to be honest. <laughs> Talking about kind of growing up, so you you mentioned about you grew up over a laundrette and like the kind of the neighbourhood you were in. When when I kind of discussed you coming onto the show, you mentioned that you weren't a very Christmassy person. Is that because I mean, were you not? Did you celebrate Christmas growing up, or I mean, is is it just not a thing you like to do? Or what is? No, you <coughs> you. You, we did. I think part of the immigrant experience um, and journey is that those that that uh, uh, migrate to Britain from other countries, they want to fit in. Mm. And so part of that fitting in was seen to be, you know, part of Christmas because it was such a big thing. I remember with my parents, because it was quite a small flat, um, but we had... I think we had one real Christmas tree once, and my father said never again. It took, oh, you know, it's just the mess. It, I mean, it was an extraordinary mess. I mean, we were finding, <laughs> you know, needles for months afterwards, and it, you know, knackered the Hoover, and you know, it was all that sort of stuff. But after that, we had a, a plastic Christmas tree that was about eighteen inches high. That, uh, <clears throat> which actually, when I think about it now, as a perspective thing, is quite clever because if you're going to put presents under an eighteen-inch high tree. They're going to be small. 
It's good. You're not going to look at it and go, oh, my goodness, I've got a bicycle. <laughs> Is it? You're going to get a pencil sharpener or something. And um, so, yeah, we had that. And then they would put, you know, they, there was always a, a string that was put on the mantelpiece. Right. Where you put the cards yeah. that you got from people on them. So they did that, a little bit of tinsel. And, and then for Christmas, you know, lunch, mm-hmm. my mum has always been vegetarian. Okay. Um, my dad, we, the turkey thing, nobody was a big fan of turkey. And so that um, translated into chicken. So uh, it, was, it was the chicken thing. But also, and you know this, it's kind of like, you know, when you come from a different culture that has a uh, different, uh, certainly a different food culture. Yeah. Is that you adapt stuff. And yeah. so, you know, the chicken or the potatoes would be slightly spiced or you'd add cumin or you know whatever it might be um you would you know pimp your vegetables as <laughs> give it them were. some flavor <laughs> yeah because i mean it was otherwise i mean particularly when i was growing up you know british food was generally you know it was either roasted boiled, boiled or grilled and if it was boiled <laughs> It was like it was some sort of torture boiling where they boiled the <laughs> sprouts or the potatoes or the carrots or whatever. Just ki- and, uh, to make sure it's dead. To make sure it's not going to come back <laughs> and seek vengeance. And then obviously chuck away the water. Yeah. And then so all the flavour's gone. So that was always kind of fun in terms of, you know, Christmas lunch was that, you know, the stuff that was added, whether it was, you know, as I said, whether it was cumin or garlic or garam masala or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, made it much more interesting, I thought. Did, so when you were at school, did you do the school dinners thing or did you take packed lunches? What was the... I did do school dinners um, yeah. and I quite liked it, actually. And I think maybe because the food at home was so different yeah. and was always spiced, yeah. that actually there was a weird the comfort yeah, in <laughs> having something <laughs> utterly bland and just what stodge, basically. Did you have friends come over for, for tea and then comment on how your food was that much more interesting or <laughs> as a as a kid not really okay no it was kind of I think I was possibly embarrassed mm. because it, again that desperation to fit in yeah is that you're trying to impart to people that you're no different from them yeah and I think by bringing them round to the house it would yeah. emphasize the difference yeah um because the house would smell different you know my parents accent was different uh-huh. Um, the way my mum dressed was different. Yeah. And so I think as a kid, I think that um, I thought I created this alter ego that wanders around school <laughs> who can out-Brit the other kids. <laughs> and have, have, you, um, have you ever seen Parks and Recreation? Yes, I have, yeah. You know the, um, the character uh, Tom Haverford, the, the Indian? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they find out like sometime down the series that that isn't his name at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I remember when I was about eight, I remember, I don't know, maybe slightly older, 10. I remember going to the local swimming pool mm-hmm. and there were kids there who weren't from my school and ones I didn't know. And they said, what's your name? And I thought, here's my chance. And I said, Steve. <laughs> and they went, Steve. And I went, yeah, Steve. And they went, oh, hi, Steve. All right, Steve. And then... I don't know, 15 minutes later, they're all shouting at the other end of the pool, shouting, Steve, Steve. I'm just not looking around. Like, so I'm thinking, what? obviously, they're talking to someone else. 
until they come somebody came up to him and went oh it's steve and i went hey and he said they've been shouting for you and i just thought this is just ridiculous i can't keep this up i can't keep this up this is pointless um but i think it is that desperation to to fit in to be a part of something i think every kid has it yeah in different ways but i think as an immigrant kid when you look different and your name's different mm-hmm. then suddenly you're you're trying to emphasize other areas that allow you to to feel part of the club mm-hmm. definitely i mean 1998 to 2001 so those, those are very significant years for you because obviously mm. goodness gracious me on television very significant to me as well because those are the years that i was at university oh. um and so it's kind of soundtrack isn't quite the right word but like goodness gracious me it's something that kind of held my hand while i was at, at university Oh, that's, that's, um, that's interesting and, and lovely to hear. <laughs> because going back to what you were saying about kind of bland, the most famous sketch from Goodness Gracious Me, you know, going for an English. Yeah. Um, I think it was rated by Channel 4 as like the sixth best comedy sketch ever of all time. Something like that. Mm. With good reason. Because for me, Goodness Gracious Me is something that it was the first time I saw something on television that felt like I could identify with it in terms of, you know, being the second gen immigrant kid. The the situation where your mother is at home and says that they could make it with an aubergine better than anyone else. <laughs> the whole kind of, just, just, just all of these things. It was just so many different aspects and so many different sketches. And it was kind of insane to see that finally on television. And then I, I know that you've said like in interviews since then that you didn't realise the impact that you had. You you just kind of no. didn't realise quite the longevity of this thing. I mean, how did going into it and even kind of filming it? What what were your thoughts? What what what, what was in on your mind and of your co-stars' minds? Well, it was it it was the first kind of notable thing that I'd done, and so because I started acting so late, mm-hmm. um, there was part of me feeling as I still do actually that I just know less than my peers so I was desperately trying to learn and catch up and try to understand how all of this worked and how acting works and 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 you know it was utter because I didn't do drama before that I didn't do it at school I didn't do it at university so at that stage I think there was part of me that was just desperately trying to learn mm-hmm. um, but also it was hugely cathartic to be able to have these shared experiences yeah. uh and and you know the 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 four of us who were the main actors in it yeah you know, we all had very different uh, upbringings okay. and so it wasn't that you know our upbringings mirrored each other but i think that the immigrant experience did uh-huh. and so that was our sort of venn diagram of where we could understand the parents uh fears for their kids uh-huh. uh, who were second generation that disparity between their values and the kids' values. Uh, and so we could mine a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think we always felt we were mining it with affection. We didn't mm-hmm. have kind of, you know, nasty targets. It was cathartic to be able to be funny about it with other people. Yeah. And whereas in, you know, prior to that, it may have been a couple of my friends yeah. as individuals that I could talk about this. But suddenly there were, you know, six people or seven people that, you know, understood the experience enough to be able to add to the joke yeah, uh, and construct it. So that, I mean, that's what 
occupied your your head and and also for me it was it was on radio first and then on tv and so all of these experiences were absolutely blindingly new for me i didn't have a reference point for it so you know that notion of thinking about it as groundbreaking or yeah. it being different just didn't cross my mind it wasn't you know within my sphere of thought at all i mean the really interesting thing is that so where i was at university it was quite white i'm just gonna be mm. very honest about it but everybody watched it it was like a cultural phenomenon not just in the second gen immigration kids it was like Everybody talked about it. It was the thing, the next day in lectures, you would not talk about anything else. It'd be like, oh, did you see that sketch last night? It was really funny. And, it, and I find that incredibly interesting because for a lot of these people, they had no inkling of what that experience is like. You know, they, they, it's mm. not like they were identifying with it at all, but they were still able to to find the humour. And that kind of, in a weird kind of way, that also made me feel seen. Because I thought, okay, I'm sharing these jokes with people. There's something that I watch that I feel it feels very strongly to me. But at the same time, you're like this posh white boy who does what that you know, does the thing where they go and say, oh, I don't want anything too hot and oh, I want 10 poppadoms. So you are that exact person that does that kind of ordering. <laughs> but at the same time, you're also seeing the humour in it. So I think for me, like, I'm just being really fangirly here. I'm just very grateful because you kind of gave me an almost like a like a, a touchstone is that the right word for you know reaching out to people for whom I might not have a shared experience but we shared our enjoyment of the show so so yeah no it'll be you and obviously your co-stars um Nina Wadia, Mirasayal, Corvendo yeah. like Main, mainly me though mainly <laughs> <laughs> I mean, since I'm here. No, that's, do you know what? That's really lovely of you to say. And, you know, it's, you, you know, when you, when you make something, uh, you know, you make it in isolation, really, mm. you know, from the audience. And once the audience uh, sees it, then they have their own relationship with it. And, you know, equally, um, there are people who, who hated it and still hate it. And oh, that, wow, impossible. It's, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you know, they're allowed to do that. And so, but, you know, hearing you talk about it so uh, warmly um, is is not something we could have countenanced at that point, and that's incredibly humbling to know that it connected. And the but the interesting thing about what you're saying, I was just thinking, was that one of the it's the power of art, and particularly the power of humour, mm -hmm. is that you know we could have made those same points, or anyone could have made those same points about how you know, Asians are treated or immigrants are treated or any of those things as a, you know, as a speech, mm. as a, you know, this, you shouldn't behave like this. Do you know what it feels like if you can? The fact it was done with humor is you get behind the, the preachy notion that mm -hmm. switches people off. And so a lot of the time, and also it was a real mixture because we would have those satirical sketches, but also we just had ones that were just silly. <laughs> you know and so mixing them up meant that the nature of sketch shows is that you know it's very rare that you like every sketch yeah uh, but you know that you know in two minutes there'll be another one and maybe you'll like that but within that mix I think that mixture of you know satirical stuff and uh, parody and just being silly I think was was a good mix in retrospect you know not not a mix that i can take any credit for in terms yeah. of the construction 
But I think that was it. And I, it was a, it, there was a, a moment with the TV series where I realised that it crossed over. I think that the BBC thought it would only be Asians that would watch it. Okay. So they thought, this is the Asian sketch show. So that's for Asians then. Yeah. And it's when they realised they were having a broader audience that they kind of thought, oh, oh okay, maybe it's, it's not just, you know, as pigeonholed as that. Um, but I remember kind of I was walking in Islington in North London mm-hmm. and it was in the middle of the day and I, there was a pub. People were drinking. It was very hot. People were outside, you know, the pubs drinking. And I walked past this pub and <clears throat> I noticed in my peripheral vision on the right was a guy wearing like a, a judge's wig. I, I mean, I presume he was a judge. <laughs> uh, but he was, he was wearing a judge's wig and there were two skinheads that were sort of sitting at his feet. So it was almost like he was holding court. And as I walked, they all had pints um, yeah. in their hands. And as I walked past, I heard a voice just say, Oi, you! And I thought, oh, just carry on walking. It's yeah. fine. And then I heard another, Oi, oi, I'm talking to you! And I thought, oh, gosh. Keep walking. They'll yeah. get bored. They'll... And and then one of them said, Oi, goodness gracious me, bloke! <laughs> and I, I turned around, and the, and the judge um, said... Uh, yeah, he said, I've got a question for you. And I said, okay. He said, chuddies. He said, they're underpants, aren't they? And I said, yes, they are. Um, and that's the point I thought, wow, that that's really crossed over because I would never have thought of, you know, you three guys being, uh, you know, part of the audience. Yeah. And that's when I thought, oh, actually, there's a much broader cross-section of people watching this, this than I realised. I mean, you you got the word into the Oxford English Dictionary, didn't you? I did. I, I mean, that is just. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's nuts. I've introduced a word into the Oxford English a Dictionary. Fine word. <laughs> My mum did say actually when I when I told her it had gone into the dictionary, she said, "Juddies," and I said, "Yeah." She said, "You couldn't have picked a nicer word." And I said, "I don't. I don't think that's how it works," but. Um, is the yeah, word that, is, is the word rasmalai in the OED? Because it ought to be. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it is. That's a much nicer word. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's true. I mean, because that's the thing. Because like, that's, that's the other thing. Because like, I mean, there are catchphrases from the show which still kind of rattle around my head and so many people's heads. I mean, so you know the the show Man Like Mobeen. Yeah. Um, so. I, I was watching it with my husband, and every time Art Malik comes on the TV, I just want to go, the gorgeous Art Malik. I, yeah. I cannot say his name without, you know, prefacing it with gorgeous. And that's all your fault, like all of you. you you've done that to me. You've kind of given me brain, brain that's rot. specifically Mira's fault on that one. But also, I have to say, whenever I've met him, I have to do the same thing. <laughs> what, out loud? Yeah. <laughs> It's just a, it's just a compulsion. I can't help it. Oh, he is gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, 
Talking about Mira, obviously, mm. your your wonderful wife, who you met through Goodness Gracious Me, is that right? Yeah. Or did you, did you know her before that? No, we met um, when the team were put together for Goodness Gracious Me. And then, you know, you fell in love, which was kind of... I remember when, when I found out that you guys had got married. I'm, I'm a horrible shipper. I'm like one of these people who, like, if they see people <laughs> on telly and they, they have chemistry, I'm like, oh, my God, yes. They, they are, they're, they're in my brain, they are together. It's like when ABBA, you know, the two couples split up in ABBA. I was quite yeah. upset about that, even though yeah. it had nothing to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I know what you mean. No, no, I know completely. So when the two of you got married, I, was, I, did, I did kind of cry a little bit with happiness, which is very <laughs> sad. So the, one, the one thing I did want to ask you is that, so, okay, so going back to what you were saying about Adam Alder, mm. I read this amazing story about him where he said that the reason he realised that his wife was the one for him was because they were at a party together and someone dropped a cake on the floor and they were the only two people who were willing to get down and eat the floor cake. Yeah. So I would like to ask you, how did you know that Mira was the one for you? It wasn't um, as uh, it wasn't a moment like it was with Alan and Arlene, um, because we we were working together. We were introduced in 1995, mm-hmm. and then we did the radio series across uh, 97. I think the first one went out, and then the telly series went out in 98. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got to the Kumars, which was around 2001 two um you know we were both in other relationships so okay and also when you're filming a teleseries you see each other for maybe about a month and then 11 months you don't okay and um so there wasn't that much contact and then I think once we got to the Kumars after we'd done a couple of series of that where we spent more time together we were both kind of out of relationships then and we went to uh, Australia to promote the Kumars which was um, which did very well in Australia okay. and um, uh, and Mira's film of her book Anita and Me mm-hmm. um, both those things were coming out and so we were flown the two of us were flown over to do press and and uh, publicity and stuff for it and it's I mean it's a it's a long flight I mean it's, it's, it's a day three hours yeah, yeah. so something's gonna happen <laughs> I mean, it's just you. Are, you either kill each other or fall in love. Yeah, it's got to be one or the other. I mean, either you find you know great connection, or you kind of <laughs> vow never to be in the same space as that person. And um, and luckily for us, it was the uh, it was the former. I think also um, that because by then we'd known each other about eight years, okay, on on and off, and and actually with work, you 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 tend to see the best and worst of somebody in that you see them at their most creative and bubbly and, um, you know, up top energy. Um, But also you see the pressure and, you know, if you get things wrong or you're writing something that doesn't work or, you know, you've had a difficult time at home and you have to come in, you know, you see all those different aspects uh, of people. You've already done the for better or worse at that point. In in retrospect, I think so. You know, I think that helped. And I think that uh, because we always got on, um, I think that the flight to Australia allowed us to kind of just find out more, a bit more, uh, 
about uh, the more we had in common. Talking about Australia, um, I wanted to ask you, how is it that you know or have been friends with Hugh Jackman for so long? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's just another weird bit of my life, isn't it? Yeah, explain, explain yourself. So the first time I saw Hugh Jackman Mm -hmm. was in a production of Oklahoma at the National Theatre. And, and you know, I didn't know him. Nobody knew him. Um, But I went to see the production and he played uh, uh, Curly in it, who sings um, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. Right. And he starts off stage. So it's a disembodied voice. And then he walks on stage singing, oh, what a beautiful one. And um, there was an audible intake of breath Mm. from, it felt like, every woman in the audience. (laughs) As he walked on, there was this, (gasps) I mean, he's beautiful. He is beautiful. And a gorgeous voice. And so some years after that, um, he was doing a film in London called Scoop. And I had two scenes, two, three scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. And one of them, no, two of the scenes were with Hugh. So I got there. I was only filming for a day. Yeah. Um, and, and I got to the set and I went to the uh, makeup truck to let them know I was there. And, you know, when they wanted uh, me to come in. And I walked on and knocked on the door, walked into the the camera, the, sorry, the makeup truck. And it was empty apart from Hugh Jackman sitting in a chair reading a paper. Right. And I froze. And he looked up and he said, Sanjeev. And I said, well, <laughs> how do you, what, wh- how do you know who I am? Yeah. And he just said, Kumar's right. He said, I used to watch your show in Australia. I didn't know you were on this. Well, you said you were big in Australia, so... Didn't realise he'd watched it. And <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of was reeling from that. What, was he um, already Wolverine at that point? Or was this before? He was already Wolverine. Wow. Yeah, okay. this is post-Wolverine. And, nice. Um, he, um, we hit it off. And so then we met for dinner. Yeah. Um, I think about a week later, he and his wife, uh, Deborah... And Mira and I went out for dinner. And then I, I you know, saw him when he came over here. We went to his place in his apartment in New York once. Mm-hmm. And he is, what you see is what you get. He's really lovely, really kind, mm-hmm. very funny. Um, like Roger Moore and like Alan Alder, he's utterly self-deprecating, can yeah. send himself up, doesn't take himself seriously. Mm-hmm. And is, is just a delight. I mean, he's a really, really lovely man and super talented. That That's really nice to hear. I mean, so when I turned 40, the thing that I bought myself as a present was like, I bought tickets to his show here at the O2. Um, and I've been to a lot of... The, with the, the man and his yes, music yes. show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that I've great. been to a, a, lot, a lot of gigs. I've been to a lot of very cool gigs. I mean, my, my taste in music tends towards... Well, not Hugh Jackman, let's say. But basically, one of my, my best friends said that she wanted to go. And I went, OK, let's do it. I don't care. Let's let's do it. And I have to say that I think it's probably the most fun show that I've ever been to. Like, I came away just kind of... I bought his T-shirt, for example. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever worn it. But the point is, I was just so buoyed by the kind of the exuberance, his voice. Um, I was also... 
the the the, the show I saw, Robbie Williams came on. Did Angels yeah, with him? Maybe we were at the same show. We might have I been. At, I was at that one. Oh my god! Okay, well there you go. Was it amazing? Yeah, incredible. But he can he can do everything. He's a man of many talents. As are you though, because you mean obviously you were in spam a lot. You, I, you, I was in spam you, a lot. Although I have to say I have been unable to locate any footage of this, so I don't know what I you're saying. I think it's all burned. Was. I think it's being held by the CIA. I think they're holding on to it. So are you the... are you not also a beautiful singer then? <clears throat> Presumably you no. can sing well enough to be the lead of spam a lot. <clears throat> well, it's it's not for King Arthur. Uh, the character I played, it's not primarily a singing show. So there are there's one solo song, and then there's a, there's two duets, right? But I'm, I'm, and then other songs that I'm, you know, King Arthur is a part of. Yeah. So it's not it's not focused on on how well King Arthur can sing. Okay. So um, I was in tune, obviously, <laughs> and I was loud enough, but um, but no, I I wish I had a. A phenomenal singing voice. If you were an amazing singer as well, that would just be unfair because you are already a Renaissance man, right? You you can already <laughs> do so many different things. That just wouldn't be fair on the rest of us. So yeah, I'm, I think I'm... that's the reason. That is the reason. Let's let's go with that. Let's talk about the Unforgotten. Now I'm I'm gonna like straight up. I'm gonna tell you that I, I have not watched this show. I want to know who did it straight up. I just I'm the, I like one of these horrible people that really likes spoilers, and I don't like not knowing motivation, not knowing how things happened. I know other people, obviously so many other people, really, really enjoy it, but I can't cope. Mm. So that out of the way, I have not seen Unforgotten. But I know that it is beloved in many countries. And obviously it's very different from anything that you've done before. Um, it is a dramatic role. How, how, how would you know? <laughs> Shush now. Um, but it's a dramatic role, isn't it? I'm, it I, is, I, I, yeah. I've seen clips. I've seen clips. <laughs> there's, there's no talk of chuddies. Um, <laughs> um, and and obviously, you know, I one thing that I st- struck me is I read an interview with Adam Buxton. I don't know if you've ever mm. seen this interview. Um, I don't think I have, no. So he said, um, I'm just going to quote him, he said, we blazed through all four series of Unforgotten in lockdown and it made me envy Sanjeev Bhaskar's trajectory to be on a hit comedy show and end up starring in a show like that. Wow, I don't have the acting chops. So he basically kind of fangirled over you because he, you know, he's someone who had, a, I guess, a similar-ish beginning. You both started in comedy um, and now you are on this incredible acclaimed dramatic series drama series which has has just been renewed for a fifth series is that right it's true yeah um which you'll i guess you'll kind of be carrying because this is not a spoiler people know this right your co-star the the character the character passed away well yes let's say that my um co-star will be different i I hate the word star my kind of um (laughs) you know co uh detective yeah uh will be different uh, in the next series. I mean, Adam is just phenomenally talented. I wish I had a tenth of his talent. He's extraordinary. He's extraordinary as a writer. But he's, he's jealous of you. So you should revel yeah, in that. They, maybe, maybe he's mixing me up with someone else. <laughs> it's possible. It's happened before. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm... Listen, I'm surprised that I'm in The Unforgotten. I mean, I when I... <laughs> 
um, when I auditioned for it, I didn't think I'd get it. I, the, the only reason I auditioned was because uh, I was told that um, if I went in for the audition, that I would meet the writer. And I thought, well, I, it, what a great opportunity to tell the writer how brilliant I think his script is oh. in person. And then, and I think at the at the audition, I kind of did my bit. And I, yeah. I, I said to Chris Lang, who wrote it, I said, well, look, I, I don't know, you know, when when I'll see you again. But I just <laughs> wanted to say that it's such a great script. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. And that was it. And the, and my agent rang quite quickly. I think it was the next day. And and I remember the surprise in his voice as well yeah. when he said, um, yeah, you've got it. And I said, you've got to be joking. And he said, no. And it was, it took me two series before I asked Chris Lang why he'd cast me. Because <laughs> I just thought, if I bring it up. Was it an accident? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, again, did you mix me up with someone else? And then you got stuck with me. But I, it was, and also because I didn't want to ask him during the first series because I thought if I do, he might just say, what? Oh my goodness, there's been a terrible mistake. Um, but I think second series, midway through the second series, I felt safe felt enough to say, enough. say, Chris, why did you, I, I hadn't what, really what done much say? drama. What did he say? No, he said I had you in mind from the beginning. And I think that, you know, one of the things that he looking at his casting actually is that I think just about everyone I can think of who's been in it uh, in in a series that's dramatic and dark and has twists um, they can all do comedy which not all dramatic actors can do and I think that's the thing about timing so if you can take comedy timing and apply that sort of timing sense to drama then you you hit beats in a slightly different way, and I think that if because you're much more aware of it, and you have to be in comedy. But I I don't think it's fundamentally different to drama. I think there's a technical difference in knowing, you know, where to put a stress or how long to leave a pause or something like that. I think those are quite technical things. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of comedy actors make very, very good dramatic actors. But it doesn't always work the other way around. And so obviously your character is, is, is D.I., Sonny Khan? He is. Because there seems to be a controversy as to whether you're a D.I. or a D.S. No, it's a, it is a D.I. <laughs> it is a D.I. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of the things that is notable is that he carries a backpack. Yes. Um, and I know that like on your social media, you've been posting the contents of your backpack, which seems to be seem to be quite ludicrous sometimes. Um, it feels yep. like the, the crew are just kind of making fun of you. <laughs> there was like a whole cocktail set, like a bartender's set one oh, time. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's been that. There's been um, stilettos. There was a <laughs> giant metal pink flamingo. that I, I don't even know how they got that in the bag because I took it out of the bag and I couldn't put it back in. Uh, it was that. There had been uh, feather boas. Oh, my gosh. And pictures and but DVDs. nothing's rattled during the, the filming. No, because it's so <laughs> p tightly packed, it doesn't really move. And, right. you know, I chose the backpack. Um, oh, you go okay. into costume and you can choose bits and pieces. And they've got me a briefcase. And I said, I, a backpack for me. And they said, why? And I said, because it's practical. And he, this character's got kids and yeah. you have to cart things around. And so, yeah. um, and it, it just, I didn't 
realise that people would fixate it's on it. Iconic. I mean, like I, I said, I, I don't watch the show, but I, I, I'm always following. You know about the backpack. I know about the backpack. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, and uh, it was. There was such a lot of focus on it yeah. that the second series. I said to the costume department, "I said, look, you've got to fill it with something, so you know, <laughs> it, it looks full." Um, so surprise me, and so, I said, "I'll open it at the end of the day, and post I'll it. take a picture of <laughs> what was in there," and. They increasingly went, and I said, look, the more bizarre, the better, the more interesting a picture it's going to be. And so I genuinely do not look in the bag during the day. (laughs) And I genuinely, when I open it at the end of the day and take the picture, it's the first time I've seen it. Maybe on the next series, I'll do it as a video so people can see me. Kind of react like an unboxing video if you put it on youtube you'll earn millions this is really what I've, I've okay learned. yeah all right <laughs> seriously millions <laughs> you say millions. this is what children seem to do they have this thing where they just open the latest you know fad toy and then you just get the hands and the unboxing and then you know people are literally built careers over this so if you ever get decide to change what you're doing that, that's yeah to do it. Um, so, but, but what would you put in your backpack so not sunny you what what's what would be in your essential backpack so I'm thinking about the things that I always take with me mm-hmm. when I'm traveling or whether I'm going to set particularly. So I always have my iPad um, so I can watch films and do all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, and therefore chargers and headphones or, or whatever. Um, I always have black pepper with me. Really? Always. Yeah, because, <laughs> because when I was a kid, I, you know, I mean, you, there were a lot of things you couldn't get easily, which we now take for granted. Yeah. Uh, and you could not get black pepper. So you got white pepper in, you know, restaurants and stuff like that. And I no but idea. I've always loved black pepper. Yeah. And so um, I always carry black pepper with me because right. the number of times I've been on a set and I've, you know, I've got the food and I've thought, oh, it's just... And also, you get salt and pepper in little sachets. Yeah. As well, we're doing these things, and I feel embarrassed taking sort of five or six because <laughs> everyone's looking at you, and you kind of it's like you've your big fist has gone in and you grabbed all <laughs> of it and gone there to everyone else. You can't have any, so I take my own. So, so black it, pepper always. Is it pe- pepper over chili then? Do you, would you, do you prefer pepper? Uh, over it's chili? no, it's pepper, but also I take chili sauce with me. <laughs> so there's a green chili sauce particularly. Oh, uh, so I like the flavour like- of. Jalapenos, or is that just green chilies? No, like uh, Eastern green chilies. Okay, finger um, chilies, yeah, nice. Finger chilies. So I always carry those, and what else do I carry? I've got a microfiber towel, <laughs> so I always carry a microfiber towel. It's like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Thing. It's, it, I mean, it, it's probably come from that. <laughs> you know, never, never be without your towel. Um, <laughs> So I have that as well, because, again, especially on sets and things, sometimes, you know, the t- the towel is is not one that you'd, you'd want to poke it with a stick first. And <laughs> so at least I've, if I've got my own towel, it's that. And also, you know, you can double it up and you can put it on a cushion or you can. There's lots of different. Like, yeah, you're right. This is a. It is this, a hitchhiker's It is a hitchhiker's guide. It's a hitchhiker's guide. Douglas Adams. <laughs> always travel with a towel. Yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. So, talking about food, who's who cooks in your house, or do, do you take turns, or is there a dominant chef? Oh, there's absolutely there's a dominant chef, and there's a tre 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 su 
chef. Okay. Uh, and um, yeah, Mira's great. I mean, she she loves cooking. I think one you know one of the joys of being brought up in two cultures mm-hmm. is that freedom of expression that comes with cooking. Mm-hmm. And so, on the very rare times that I cook, almost whatever. You know, it will almost inevitably have cumin and black pepper in it. Yeah. And so, you know, that Easternizing of Western dishes is something I've always loved. Yeah. Uh, my mum was basically used to try to Westernize Eastern dishes. Okay. If you like, because it was her dish was primarily Eastern, and then she would kind of go, "What do you do? Roast it or or whatever?" <laughs> you know, it's kind of what I don't know what these things are and. Yeah. Whereas I think, you know, Mira kind of, it does it both ways. Well, the Eastern stuff is the Eastern stuff. And we yeah, leave yeah. it where it is. But the Western stuff, Easternized, is yeah. is something I quite enjoy. My family does that. My mum does this amazing pizza where she basically tops it with, like, kuma and onions and garlic and green chilies always. And it's like, this is better than a normal pizza. This is this is a good fusion pizza. So. <laughs> Well, my, my mum used to make homemade pizzas, which I loved, but it was from scratch. And so yeah. paneer and onion, red onions and chilies and uh, what do you call it? Leaves. Oh, gosh, what, what, the word's gone out of my head. It's ridiculous. It's a fundamental little green leaf that you use. Coriander? As coriander. Sorry. <laughs> Why did I? Couldn't remember coriander. Um, but, you know, those I'm revoking kind of your Asian card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite right. And the other thing that I loved, did your family do this, was any kind of dishes that you had, any leftovers, mm-hmm. toasty. Yes. Did you do the toasty version? Of course. Of, I mean, just, I mean, it was glorious. Glorious. I mean, it was because that that was that East meets West moment where suddenly you got a yesterday's kind of like, you know, whatever, alu gobi or whatever was suddenly put in a toasty. See, this is interesting because like, one of the dishes that my mum loves to make, which is a kind of a notionally Burmese dish, so it's a dish that's popular in Burma, but mm. I, it, it's from like kind of the Indian community that's there, is something called Bombay toast. Um, oh, right. and, and, and it's basically, as you say, it's usually kind of like whatever amazing kind of leftovers you've got. So it's sometimes like stir fried chicken or whatever, mm. just on toast, just deep fried with like egg to bind it all. And oh, it's wow. amazing. And and yeah, and so like in Burma, that's called Bombay toast. And I'm like, I have no idea whether this is actually eaten in India or you know, if it's just been invented by the community, the Indian community in Burma. Or... So when you say it's binded by egg, um, so like a, like a French toast kind yeah. of, you reminded me because um, I'm a big Elvis fan. Okay. And, and I went to Memphis and went to the diner that Elvis used to go to when he was young. Yeah. And so they've got the Elvis sandwich there. It was deep fried in butter yeah. um, in the way that you were describing yeah. with Bombay toast. Um, uh, peanut butter and banana. Mm. And so I kind of thought, I've, I've got to try that. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. The peanut butter, the banana, yeah. and then toast fried in butter. I yeah. thought it was extraordinary. The, well, deep fried anything is amazing. This that is, is true, isn't it? I, do you know what you've reminded me when I was at university once um, I went to we all gathered at someone's house yeah. and they were they were leaving so they were there to kind of clear out the house and they decided to do a fry up for everyone who was there because they yeah. had just had to use up all the food yeah. and um, they basically fried everything 
It's the only time <laughs> I've ever had fried salad. Hey, you know what? So if you, <laughs> I have this kind of a website that I don't really pay any attention to, but there is a recipe on there for salad fritters. And it's basically get your salad, leftover salad and fry the hell out of it. So if you ever fancy making it yourself, try my but, salad fritters recipe. Well, do you, I mean, is it battered? Get Get your limp looking bag of salad, right? Um, and just toss it with the flour and the the water and I'm whatever. doing it. Do it. I'm yeah. doing it. It's kind of it. You know, the problem is now that you know calorie counting has become kind of something that it's difficult to ignore. Live your life like each day is the last. <laughs> when it comes to deep fried food, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not kill the people you hate because <laughs> it's ending anyway. We're talking about food. We're not talking about the apocalypse. Okay, good. <laughs> well, it's funny, actually, because you mentioned Alu Gobi. One, one of the things that, so kind of tying this back to goodness gracious me. So obviously one of the most famous sketches is the one where there's the, the kind of the father who just goes Indian about everything. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it's kind of a funny, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is sort of true with a lot of stuff in Burma. So Alu Gobi, that's, so mm. we call potatoes Alu. And mm-hmm. we call cabbage gobi. Um, oh, okay. And there are other words that um, that we have, like there's the word, which I only found out like last month, that the word namuna, which oh, means, yeah. ex- it means example in Burmese. So oh, right. Okay. We just stole, we just stole Indian words. So, <laughs> so, you know, when I watched that sketch, I kind of, I was a little bit indignant about it all. But then my parents were kind of like, no, no, he's right. This isn't actually comedy at all. It's actually entirely true. So. <laughs> It's that wonderful moment where people see it as a documentary. Exactly. But I, but you, but also I think that um, you know the interesting thing about you know growing up here is that you become aware of those incremental changes in society and attitudes as you head from London eastwards. Yeah. And so you know whether it's in terms of spices, in terms of food, in terms of uh, music in yeah. terms of um, you know cultural attitudes, generational attitudes. That actually, the the more east you go from London, you know, across Europe, and then especially when you get into Asia, yeah. from Turkey onwards, and then you know through to Afghanistan, and then onwards to I mean, including you know part of the um, Arab Peninsula, and then to India and then beyond India to Burma and then to Thailand and you kind of see those incremental changes and actually again those Venn diagrams of what you have in common become much more stark it's very easy to see countries as you know separate legal governing entities that they are but actually people actually you know the the change in in all of those things is is actually quite small and it means you can understand it yeah it doesn't feel alien yeah definitely i mean like as you say you know borders they're notional you know people move back and forth culture moves back and forth food moves back and forth yeah Um, language language for sure Mm. definitely i mean as as a as a namuna (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna ask you the question the answer which we really want to know. Okay. What's it like acting with Paddington? Well, I, you know, there are two answers to this, obviously. Um, there's the PR answer uh, and there's the 
the truth. And the truth is that Paddington's a diva. Uh, <laughs> never arrived on time on set. Uh, insisted on, you know, a separate diet. You couldn't look Paddington in the eye. Oh, uh, I mean, he's quite only... short, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and But if you were talking to him, you could not look at him. Right. You had to look away. You weren't allowed to ask him anything. Only oh. speak to Paddington uh, if Paddington <laughs> speaks to you. Uh, bow whenever he's in the vicinity. Oh, it was a whole load of things. Um, Sounds quite stressful. And, but the official version is no, absolutely delightful. <laughs> Wonderful sense of humour. So warm. Shared his marmalade sandwiches. Um in terms of the film, it was an extraordinary experience. It was such joy on set. Um, and it was, I, I think, may, well, maybe it was cast well with lovely people. Yeah. But also, you know, none of the lovely people were the star of the film. The star of the film was this small bear. So it's a levelling experience for for everybody. But it was a really happy set. Yeah. And Hugh Grant did some of the best improvising I've ever seen absolutely rooted in the character he was playing and i was i was yeah i was i was in awe of his improvising skills i think he said that that's it's his favorite film that he's ever done so is, is, is it yeah I'm i know, sure I know he, he loved the that. i'm pretty sure he loved the experience i mean yeah. it i, I mean, certainly certainly came across like that on set but he that's was lovely. yeah he was delightful to be around and 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 i think brilliant in the film i think it is one of his best performances i think I, the one thing that I was wondering, though, is that uh, was Ben Whishaw's to spoil the magic? Was he ever on set with you? Or is it? I mean, how does that work? Did you have like a little person on a, a green ball on a stick that you talked to? How did that it, work? It, all those things, except Ben Whishaw being there. Oh, so, wow. you know, it was a combination of, you know, a head on a pike. Uh, <laughs> it's a little disturbing. Um, sometimes just a stick with two dots. Oh, uh, small person being able to walk through the set so we knew roughly where the eye line was going to be or where the movement was going to be. Right. Um, and a silver ball that floats through um, the same movements uh, that the bear has got to do to catch reflections in the bear's eyes and the fur and light and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. you'd have to do it a few times. Yeah. I think Ben probably recorded his stuff afterwards. I would imagine. Right. Because if they wanted to make changes to the dialogue, then they could. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean Ben's lovely as well. He's just a lovely, lovely person, fantastic actor. But um, yeah, they didn't play in his voice. Tell tell me about Sandman. What can you tell me about Sandman? Nothing at all. Ah. There we go. Um, <laughs> no, it's a it legendary comic book from the legendary Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Um, being I've, done I've... as a Netflix series. I've 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 said in the past that I think reading Sandman growing up um, is kind of formed quite a lot of my personality for better or for worse. So. I I remember you tweeting about that, or maybe yeah. it was on Instagram that you mentioned yeah. it, and I I didn't really know of it, and mm. uh, until my in you know brief involvement in it um, was announced, yeah, and then I just saw the reaction worldwide from how you know diverse the the um uh, fandom is yeah. for the sandman and you know genuinely means a lot a lot to many many people around the world i, yeah. I had no idea of the extent 
Oh, gosh. I mean, it's been in development hell forever. I mean, at one point, I think they were talking about Johnny Depp being Dream and Winona Ryder being Death and, Mm -hmm. you know, just all the kind of fandom kind of infights and everything. And so obviously when Netflix said that they were going to do it finally, and also not just that they were going to do it, but obviously Neil himself would be involved Mm -hmm. because that's always always the fear, right? That someone, Mm -hmm. you know, takes the story and then reinterprets it, right? So yeah. that that's something that you know you have to be really wary of, and so just even the casting announcement, like we saw, like the names and the pictures being kind of distributed, and I I was really really happy. I saw that you were cast as Kane, and then Asim mm. Chowdhury was cast as Abel, mm. and I just thought, oh my god, dream team. It's a terrible pun, but you know, like the two <laughs> of you as the kind of the original brothers in arms. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, I'd not met. Um, Asim before, right? So it was really lovely to meet him, and you know we we haven't got a lot to do in this first season, okay. but um, and we shot it in about I think it was about four days that we shot it, right? But the the sets were absolutely mind blowing. I mean I'd not seen anything of that scale before, right? Um, and and there's you know lots of green screen obviously because it's fantasy world and. Yeah. Uh, and all that, but it's. I'm excited to, to watch it. I've been, I've known Neil, for about eleven years. Oh my god! Um, See, that's he the person came... I'm probably most impressed with that you know because like oh. I said I kind of worshipped the man like a god when I was growing I will up. So. Let him know. <laughs> um, he came to see Spamalot. Oh, okay. And we ended up going out for uh, a drink, and connected then. So I've kept touch with him on and off since then, seen him a few times. Um, So I've since, you know, gone back to the comic books to look at Sandman and um, and stuff like that. So uh, he's extraordinary, extraordinary imagination. In terms of that mix of the big ideas and humour, you know, for me, he's he follows that kind of developmental line from Douglas Adams. Yes. It's a uniquely British thing to have yes. that quirky humour in within the darkness, but also such a big palette yeah. in terms of your imagination, big canvas yeah, your imagination. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And also kind of in common with, you know, Terry Pratchett, who yeah. you know, he, they wrote Good Omens together. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, they contain multitudes. Mm. So you can laugh at a joke on one level, but then, I mean, if you were me, you go off and, like, research what on earth they're talking about. Who is this <laughs> god? Who is this this person, this name, this Greek name they've mentioned? And then you find mm. out about it. So, I mean, okay, can you tell me this at least? And I, this, I don't know, this might be a spoiler. Go on. Do you get to kill Abel in this season? Yes. I mean, that's their relationship, isn't it? Oh, I know. It is. <laughs> but I didn't know yeah. whether even that was a secret. No, I think I, if it was just Cain and Abel having a chat, <laughs> uh, it's so disappointing. Um, just setting now, the scene. <laughs> yeah, or like the end of Big Night. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Big Night mm-hmm. with Stanley Tucci, but the last scene is just him cooking his brother an omelette. Yeah. I mean, it's a phenomenal scene. Yeah. But if that had been Cain and Abel, you'd feel a bit <laughs> short-changed, wouldn't you? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Is it is it is it gory? That I'm not going to tell you anything. More than that. <laughs> Damn I'm you! Not going to tell you anything about it. Damn you! But there is death. There is fratricide. You can confirm that much. You can. Yeah. That's otherwise there'd be no point. In, they may as well have been called Asim and Sanji <laughs> in the dream world. 
Um, okay, let's let's kind of let's talk about Christmas. Let's let's give the end this by, by going back to the reason that I dragged you here in the first place. So, Christmas. Yeah. What rituals do you have? What do you guys like to do on the day itself? Um, it tends to be, you know, the non denominational version of christmas in that we've got a christmas tree up Uh um it's always fun to decorate it and uh, we'll have the presents and then we'll do the the christmas lunch will which will be i think there's chicken um but lots of vegetarian (laughs) options right everyone can have those yeah um and my mum is coming over so probably a, a nut roast it's about getting together, really. And now, because the way we watch telly is so different. But when I was a kid, you you basically just had the channels that were on the telly. Top and of the so, Pops. Top of the Pops had to be watched. Top, the, the annual look back of Top of the Pops. Ne- never mind the, the Queen's year. speech. <laughs> never mind the Queen's speech. Uh, you know, and then there'd be, you know, the family film. There'd be a Bond film. Mm-hmm. And there'd be some sort of big epic film on BBC One in the evening, I I don't know, Spartacus or always seem um, to be Indiana Jones of some sort. Yeah, I, I don't I don't mind that. I'm a big Indiana Jones fan, and actually, <laughs> it feels like a Christmassy because it's adventurey and it's family oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved all of that. I mean, there was one Christmas that I spent on my own, um, and this would have been about uh, twenty years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And I had a flat in North London, and I was no one was around at all, right. and I thought. Okay, I'm going to plan my day around films. So I'm going to choose the films, but then, you know, there were DVDs and things. And I thought, I'm going to watch, I'm going to start off in the morning with a Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. because that feels kind of Christmassy and fun. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll watch um, Some Like It Hot. uh, And then I'll watch uh, a Bond film. And then I'll pick an adventure kind of film Mm -hmm. uh, after that, and then go back to another classic, Roman Holiday or something like that I watched. Mm hmm. And then I think in the evening I watched Blade Runner. I think so. I kind <laughs> very, of like pl- very festive. <laughs> I plotted my, my entire day around it, and I thought I'm on my own. So I think I, I think I'll have duck this year instead. Okay. So I'll, I'll roast that, and um, I'll have a drink, and I'm at home. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And the point that I woke up, <laughs> having put on whatever film it was, probably. I don't know, Harry Potter or movie afterwards, I fell asleep and I woke up when the sound uh, alarm went off to find that the duck was, you know, smoke coming out of the oven oh. and so switched that off, opened, I had a small balcony, opened the doors, yeah. the wind in, I'm waving a towel at the uh, smoke alarm, um, the smoke sensor, and the duck was about the size of a large crisp. <laughs> it was, you know, charred through. And uh, so I couldn't have that. See, I was going to ask you what your favourite Christmas movie was, but it doesn't sound like you're really into them. Die, die Hard. Die Hard, yes. That was going to be yeah. my second question. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely. Is it set at Christmas? I mean, you know, it's... I mean, I do like... I mean, really, if you're going to go back Christmas movies, then It's a Wonderful Life. Ah. Uh, still extraordinary. It is. Um... But I do love Elf as well. Uh, but it's been on such rotation in our house that I'm not sure I can watch it. Um, <laughs> I've somehow managed to never watch Elf. <laughs> it's got, I mean, it's got really funny 
it's got really funny moments in it. It's kind of interesting. I mean, what's the best thing that you've watched in the past year? Do you think TV or film? Oh gosh, or... in the past year. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's a golden age of drama, TV drama. Yeah. And so um, I think, well, the most recent thing was Succession, ah. which I thought was fabulous. Really? Fabulous. The last episode is extraordinary. An, a, another one of these strange things which I kind of know about just through kind of viral. Yeah, because everybody else is watching it. Except yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't have HBO. <laughs> yeah, it's on It's on one of the channels you can get. But yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I mean there's almost too much to watch now. I mean, the, the friends of mine who say, have you watched this? And I kind of go, I, I just haven't got the time to fit it in. Well, it's funny because, like, so, as you say, there's too much to watch and you have to make a certain choice because you can't obviously sign up to every service. Because, like, for mm. me, um, we, we had quite a lot of things. Disney Plus, obviously, because I have small children. And it, mm. it, it is something that's got me through <laughs> the past couple of years. Just going, watch that. Watch Frozen. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I had, which I didn't intend to sign up to, was Apple TV. And the only reason is because mm. I had an iPhone 6, which was a piece of crap basically mm-hmm. and it finally died and i ended up getting a new phone and with the new phone i got apple tv plus as part of mm-hmm. the subscription so you know i don't pay for it it's just part of the thing i got and so i did that thing where i went well if i've bloody got it i should probably use it and mm. see if it's worth anything and then so like the three programs the three series that i've watched recently which i absolutely adore and i think are the best things i've seen mm. are ted lasso brilliant oh you've seen it brilliant okay. yeah good <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, I've done, I've not seen anything as warm. I, I'm very evangelical you know. about the, the, the t-shirt. The, sorry, the jumper I'm wearing. Oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a homage. <laughs> Having said that, I read that apparently this is the uniform of choice for clergy women. So if I wear this in the street, people are going to assume that I'm a priest, which is slightly disconcerting. But yes, it says believe. Person. Yeah. Um, but yes, Ted Lasso. I'm just obsessed. It's amazing. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and then Mythic Quest, have you seen that? I haven't seen that. It is it, it, it Ted Lasso. Pretty much everyone is like the best and kindest person in the world. Mythic mm. Quest, everyone's an asshole. Right. You couldn't get two more different programs, <clears throat> but it mm-hmm. is genius. It's set around kind of like um, they're a computer video game studio. So mm-hmm. it's the it's like a creative designer and the lead engineer, and it's like the dichotomy between them, their relationships with the people that work with them. That is incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to the representation thing again as well. So the lead character is an Asian woman. She's Asian mm-hmm. Australian, and it's not mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's just she mm-hmm. just happens to be Asian, and right. it's one of those things. Um, she's Filipina, I think, and it's just mm-hmm. one of those things where you just think this might be the first time I've seen a program where someone is not white. But it, it's not mentioned as a thing, you know, it's yeah. not like, which is amazing. And then, and then the last thing is um, The Shrink Next Door, which I've just seen, um, which okay. you should watch if you've not seen it. It is it's Will Ferrell, it. Will Ferrell as in Elfman, yeah. um, and Paul Rudd. And it has sorely tested me because I, you know, I'm desperately in love with Paul Rudd. And he is the worst person in the world in it. He is just... It, I it, think it, I... This this was out was this out a year or two ago? It was based on a podcast, a very very popular oh, okay. podcast. So it's a true story, right? And it's basically about a, a very unethical psychiatrist. So okay. Paul, Rudd, Paul Rudd is playing this character, right? Um, and it's funny because these three series I just I, I adore, but because it's on Apple TV, I don't know very many people who've seen it. So like, 
I because the uptake of Apple TV in this country is very low, and so I don't have that experience of being able to bond with people and go, "Oh, have yeah. you seen this show?" Because no one's seen it. Well, I'll so. endeavour to watch those second two just so Do. we can bond over those. Because yes. Ted Lasso, I thought it absolutely was one of the series of the year. Yeah, and and you've reminded me that the other one that I thought was phenomenal, actually, in terms of storytelling, was Wonder Vision. Gosh, yes. I thought that was just. I mean brilliant i thought you know where it started and then where it went was oh, something was utterly unpredictable yeah mind-blowing brilliant storytelling and and actually going back to what you were saying about how we consume media these days i find it quite interesting that with those three series especially i was having to watch them every week they were releasing episodes once yeah. a week mm. and so it, it made me feel like i was back in the olden days yeah you know? that's right because my children just assume everything is on demand yeah yeah i mean it's you know normal gratification is now delayed gratification yes you know and so yeah it's it's an odd one i mean we did with ted lasso we watched amira myself and our son watched it together and it became the thing we wanted to watch together because we all had similar reactions and actually having those reactions in the room at the same time you know was was obviously more to my son, who's born in this time of immediate gratification than us, yeah. the is is irreplaceable. It's kind of it's you know it's obviously very different to people talking about it afterwards and sharing the moment. Sure. But to him, experientially, you know, he's only got that when he's gone to the theatre or gone to the cinema, of course. which both of which have been in short supply over the last couple of years. So yes. to finding that TV show that the three of us kind of all were excited about. Yeah. excited in the same way at the same time yeah. I think was a useful lesson for him oh that's lovely okay so I think probably my last question for you what are you hoping to get from Santa this year what am I hoping to get from Santa yeah. I'll be shocked if I get anything <laughs> I haven't I haven't written him a bloody letter I haven't you know I'm I don't I doubt very much and I'm on any of his kind of like, you know, positive lists. So no, I'm not expecting anything. I don't expect anything from Santa. So, you know, if I get anything at all, that's just a massive bonus. Massive bonus. He'd give me some bin bags. And I'd be thinking, well, I wasn't expecting that. that is some they'll, low, come, they'll come in useful. Low expectations you've got there. I'd, no, I haven't got low expectations. Mimi. I've got no expectations. <laughs> That is the key. That's a slightly downbeat way to end. Not really. I think <laughs> no. The for me, it's upbeat because, as I said, you know, whether I get Anything. you know, yeah, I you know, a bin bags, a, a, a tea bag. I mean, it doesn't. I've just gone on a, suddenly. There's a bag theme, which is not, <laughs> was not where I was intending to go. But you know, it could be anything. It'd be a hanky, it'd be a box of travel tissues. I mean, you know. Anyway, Whatever you get will be a Christmas miracle. That's what you're trying to say. 100%. 100%. And, it, you know, if it's something, you know, people are thinking, oh, yeah, what about, what, what if it's something you don't like? Hey, I've got something I can pass on to someone else. <laughs> oh, God. Did your family do that? My mum and dad used to do that. Whenever we got something like a really nice box of chocolates or something, it was immediately re-gifted. <laughs> it was, I mean, the, the, I felt it was my duty to keep tabs so we weren't giving it either back to the person who's given it to us or almost as bad 
given it to someone else who was connected to the person who'd oh, given it to us. Oh, and then they'd see it in their home. Then they'd, you know, it, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of... Wow. Yeah, box box of chocolates it wasn't so, such a problem. But, uh, you know, whenever anything was given to us, you know, whether it was the size of a matchbox or whether it was the size of um, a wok, you know, anything that could contain anything... My sister and I would say, what are you supposed to put in that? And my mum would always go, put some nuts in it. <laughs> they were given a Taj Mahal once, a little model of a Taj Mahal <laughs> where the dome came off. And I, I mean, my sister went, what's the point of that? And she went, put some nuts in it. <laughs> yeah, well, so we used to get, yeah, my, they would be given, I don't know, a ceramic bowl or something. And they go, we're never going to use this. Okay, that's in the regifting pile. <laughs> And me making a note somewhere saying, "Who did oh, it come wow. from?" Was that so, your given duty, or did you decide to do this yourself? No, I took I took that on. <laughs> I thought avoid, they're not keeping keep tabs. Avoid social faux pas. <laughs> yeah, you were a good boy. I was trying to fit in with the English, maybe. <laughs> it could be no greater faux pas than <laughs> re-gift to the person that gave you the gift of vase. <laughs> It really wasn't. Well, and on that note. <laughs> Indeed. I would like to say thank you so, so much, Sanjeev, for spending time with me and telling me about your festive moments and your life history. <laughs> the pleasure. It's lovely to hang out with you. Yeah, you too. And yeah, so just Merry Christmas to everybody that's listening and we'll we'll be back sometime in the new year. But thank you, Sanjeev. Thank you. Merry Christmas all. Merry Christmas to one and all. Yeah. <laughs>